Well, we're back in the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, Pastor Levi from FVC last week gave us an interesting look at Jonah and how the big fish is actually just a small part of that story. Uh, it has a lot more complexity to it. It has a lot more just to it in general, especially with Jonah himself, um, who also is a very complex person. And, and he struggles to show the same kind of grace to his enemies that God wants to show them, the Ninevites. Um, another complex character that we've been looking at um, in the Gospel of John is Judas. And that's who we're going to focus on this morning. Um, we are in John 13, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles. And a few weeks ago, we started this chapter seeing that it describes the Lord's Supper. But John leaves out very, one very important detail. He leaves out the actual supper, the actual meal. Um, John is the last to write a gospel. And he already knows that the three others, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have written about this and have described the meal and how Jesus uses it to give them something to continually remember and to reflect on what he's going to do, which is to go to the cross. And, and, and we're going to celebrate that later this morning when we take communion together. Um, if, you're, if you're new to our gathering, we celebrate the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of every month. So just, just to get that on your guys' radar. Anyway, John knows that th this has been already been described in, in three other Gospels. And so he wants to highlight some things that were left out of the other three accounts. One of these things being that there is no servant to wash the disciples' feet when they arrive in the upper room. And everyone there considers it beneath them to assume this role. They don't even wash their own feet, which is interesting. I don't know if they assume that someone would come later on, um, but there is one person who does not con who does consider this does not consider this servant's job to be beneath them, and it's Jesus, right? He is the one person that no one would expect that would take this role, and and he could have commanded any one of them to do this for them, but Jesus assumes the role of the servant to illustrate to the disciples um, and to something to them and to teach them something, to teach them that he has come to serve them. They are, they are to follow his lead and to serve each other. Just as he humbles himself, they as his disciples, his followers, are to humble themselves, and even to the point of death, which Jesus is about to do in less than a day. And so we ended two Sundays ago with Jesus explaining to them why he had washed their feet that they should humble themselves and they should serve each other. And, and then he says in, in verse 17 of chapter 13, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a difference between knowing good and doing nothing and knowing good and actually doing good. And so Jesus says here, there's only a blessing when we act on that knowledge and what is that blessing? Well, some commentators say that it's happiness, that it's contentment, that it's peace, and maybe that's part of it. I think the real blessing, the reward, 
if we're choosing to do what Jesus tells us to do, is that we're becoming more like him. We're becoming the kind of people that can stand up under trial, that can face anything and be okay, not be tossed around with the waves of life. Our faith grows when we're obedient to God because we're, we're not just agreeing with what he says, we're living it out, right? We're seeing that his way is the right way. We're experiencing that for ourselves. And, and we're coming to know him, to know Jesus in a, in a much deeper way. Because just like there's a big difference between knowing good and sitting on it and knowing good and actually doing it, there's also a big difference between just knowing about Jesus and actually knowing him. In Matthew 7, 24, Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount, this really long teaching on many different topics, and he ends it by saying, there's a difference between hearing and doing and hearing and not putting into practice what I'm teaching. And then he reinforces this by telling them a parable. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The, that, the blessing that Jesus is talking about when he tells his disciples that they will be blessed if they follow his teaching is that they will have life, not death. They will be able to, un, to stand up under any circumstances, just like this parable talks about. Any circumstances that the world throws at them, they'll be able to stand up and they'll be able to thrive instead of falling into a pit of despair when the rain and the floods and the winds beat on them. If we hear and we agree what Jesus says, but we, we still don't do what he commands us to do, this parable applies, right? Because what are we communicating if we hear but we don't apply? We're communicating that we don't really believe it. We, we can believe that Jesus' teachings and commands are right, but if we don't do them, if we don't follow him and apply what he teaches to our lives, then we're not really followers of Jesus. Judas was not a follower of Jesus. And that seems like a crazy statement to make. He was one of the 12 disciples that Jesus had chosen, but he didn't follow Jesus' teachings. He didn't do what Jesus taught. So he was not actually a follower of Jesus. It's, it's that simple. And we have some hints of this from early on in the Gospel of John. After Jesus finishes teaching the crowd in John 6, he says, starting in verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. John's referring to Judas, of course. Jesus has just been teaching about him being the bread of life. And this is after he, he feeds the 5,000 people. And he gets really graphic 
And he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And he's, he's speaking metaphorically, of course, but whether the crowd understands that this is a metaphor or not, they, many of them have had enough, and, and many of them walk away. And, and it says many of his disciples no longer walked with him. And then a few verses later in verse 67, Jesus says to his disciples, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And this is John commenting, of course, at the end here. So Judas is not a believer. He is not truly a follower of Jesus. And that's so disheartening because he was one of the 12. He was one of the 12 who were closest to Jesus. He had the honor of sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him. For three years, he got to talk with Jesus and to ask him questions and to, to listen to his teachings and still he, he walked away. That should be a sobering fact for us, that we could, someone could sit in a church service Sunday after Sunday, they could read the Bible even diligently, but if they don't do what they're hearing, what they're seeing, what they're reading, what they're learning, then there's no point, because we're not really believing what we're hearing if we don't apply what we hear and we learn to our lives. And let me just say that it's hard to live out the teachings of Jesus. It's not easy. And Jesus even promised his followers that if they lived out his teachings, that it would be hard, that there would be persecution because the world doesn't understand. The world is blind to God's ways, to his reality and truth. And we're seeing that more and more each day with the, with the ridiculous things we read about in the news, right? People identifying as something they're not. Animals even. I can identify as a horse now, so you guys need to treat me like a horse. It's just, it's just nonsense. But the Bible predicted this. The Bible said that this would happen. In 2 Timothy, Timothy 3, it says that in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves and they will oppose the truth. Back to our passage. Verse 18 of chapter 13. Jesus says, I am not speaking of all of you. And remember, he had just said that you are blessed if you do these things. He says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And that last part here is a quote from Psalm 41, verse 9. And in that psalm, David is talking about how his enemies have been gloating over his misfortune. And now even a close friend has become an enemy of his and turned against him and betrayed him. 
In, in Mid Middle Eastern culture, it was and it is unacceptable to accept hospita hospitality from someone and then to turn against your host. When you're invited into a family's home in the Middle East, you're considered family. And, and so Jesus refers to this passage because of the despicable thing that Judas was about to do. Jesus had chosen him to be part of his inner circle. He had trusted him to be the treasurer of the group. And Jesus had washed Judas' feet in this act of utter humility. He had given Judas opportunity after opportunity to repent and turn from his sin and to accept Jesus' love for him. And yet he still betrayed by Judas. Something else to note about this passage that Jesus quotes from in Psalm 41 is that the friend turned enemy that David is talking about is his trusted advisor, Ahithophel. I, I practiced that a couple times. It's a hard, it's a hard name. <laughs> Ahithophel. He, he betrays David and he sides with and advises David's son, Absalom, who succeeds in taking David's throne for a time. And at the end of this whole ordeal, when Ahithophel sees that the tables are about to turn in David's favor, he hangs himself. It sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Maybe that's why Jesus was referring to this psalm. All right, let's move on in our passage. Verse 19, Jesus says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And by saying I am he, He's saying that I am the Messiah. The disciples may not understand now what's going on. Um, in fact, they have no idea, as we will see in a few minutes here. But Jesus says these things so that later, after he dies, after he goes back to the Father, they will reflect on everything that's happened while Jesus was with them, and their faith would grow even more, and they would understand even more who Jesus was and is and what it really meant for him to be Messiah. Jesus continues in verse 20. It's up there still. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives the one who, sorry, whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Just as Jesus represents the Father, and does the work of the Father, the Father has given to Jesus, so Jesus' followers represent Jesus himself. And ultimately, anyone who accepts the message that his followers bring, which is the message of Jesus, right? We, we bring the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done. Anyone who accepts this also accepts the Father who has sent the Son, Verse 21, I keep switching it, it's up there. <laughs> After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus has hinted at this before, but he's never really come out and said this. John, as he's narrated, has told us about Judas. He's told us that he would betray Jesus. But Jesus has never really told his disciples. Again, he's hinted at it. 
And it says that when Jesus tells them, he's troubled by it. Being fully human, Jesus is troubled by the fact that Judas, one of his own, would betray him. And being fully divine, Jesus knows what's coming. He he knows what his betrayal entails. He's not just troubled by the fact that he's about to die. I mean, he's, he's troubled by that as well. We saw in chapter 12 that he's, he's troubled that the hour has come, right? He's, he's also troubled by the fact that Judas has chosen darkness over him, the light. Again, Judas has been with Jesus for three years, walked and talked with him, sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. And, and he saw the miracles that Jesus demonstrated, that Jesus did, that demonstrated who he was. And yet he still turns on Jesus. For whatever reason, we, we don't actually know his motivation. Whatever excuse he's come up with in his mind, he betrays the Messiah. Sin has hardened his heart and blinded him to the truth. Remember in John 12, when Mary anoints Jesus, um, with pure nard, Judas protests. And John comments in verse 6, I'll put it up there. He said, he said this not because he cared about the poor, he's talking about Judas, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So sin has hardened Judas' heart. Jesus had, had warned of this kind of of sin in his Sermon on the Mount, a a sermon that Judas was present for. Jesus says in that sermon in Matthew 9, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust, rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And it seems like Judas served money, right? He lo- it seems like he loved money. Maybe he had offered to be the treasurer when they were looking for someone to tend to the, to the money bag. Who knows, maybe he had started off with the intent of following Jesus but then the lust and the lure of money had captured his heart. Jesus says in this passage that I just read, the eye is the lamp of the body. And Judas's eye, whether at the beginning of his time with Jesus or later on, his eye seems to be focused on the money that he was in charge of. And what does Jesus say in verse 23 of this passage? If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And he also says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In the end, instead of Jesus, it seems like money 
was Judas' master. Sin had blinded him to, the, to this fact. And, and until the end, when he sees what his actions cause, which is Jesus' death. So Jesus is troubled by the fact that one of his own will betray him. And the Greek word here used for troubled is the same word used in the last chapter, chapter 12, when Jesus realizes that his hour has come. Remember, he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus knew what was coming, and he he knows that it's ultimately why the Father sent him to earth. And it's becoming more and more of a reality here. The hour is here, meaning things are in motion. And Judas is, is a part of that motion, right? Of course it's troubling to Jesus that it's going to happen soon. And we see later in the Garden of Gethsemane that as his crucifixion approaches, he's even more troubled. Have you guys ever had uh, something scheduled that you know is going to be hard? Maybe a public speaking engagement. Uh, Maybe you don't like needles and you have a vaccine appointment coming up. I had a needle put directly into my nose last week. You guys can see the mark here. And, And the time leading up to that was stressful. I knew what was coming. Of course, that doesn't compare to what Jesus was going through, but we can kind of get a sense, right, of what he's going through here. He knew what was approaching, and he was troubled. There was this dread hanging over him. Nobody wants to be tortured. Nobody wants to be spit on and laughed at. Nobody wants to be killed. And he knew, he knew that, that that was coming. And yet knowing and, and probably being filled with many different emotions, like anger and disappointment, and this foreboding knowledge of what is coming, knowing this and having these emotions, Jesus is still continuing to be loving to his disciples. He's just washed their feet, right? Again, even, even Judas, he's washed Judas's feet as well. And, and, he, and what is coming is coming because of God's love for his creation, And Jesus knows this too. And knowing all of these things, he's still focused on teaching his disciples and trying to prepare them for what's coming. Jesus is truly our example of what it means to serve. So in verse 21, um, Jesus says that one of them will betray him. And then in verse 22, he says, the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. The disciples have no idea of who Jesus is talking about. At that moment, they, they didn't know where Judas's heart was at. He was one of the 12, and he had walked the walk, and he had talked the talk. Was he genuine and sincerely interested in following Jesus at the beginning of his time with Jesus? Maybe. We don't know. In any case, he has done a very good job of hiding the fact that he was dipping into the money bag and the fact that recently he has decided to turn Jesus over to the authorities. And verse 2 of this chapter tells us, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So Judas was under the influence of the devil. 
Did he have a choice one way or the other? Or was he being controlled beyond his will? God hasn't made any of us robots, right? We do have free will. But Judas had already made choices. He had chosen to steal from the money bag. And that may seem like a small thing compared to betraying Jesus, but sin is sin. And sin clouds our minds and it darkens our hearts. The descent into darkness can be a slow process. It can be a gradual process as we continue to sin because it's continuing to choose what is wrong over what is right. And whoever continues down this path will be consumed by darkness. Jesus taught just, just a chapter earlier in chapter 12, verse 46. He said, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I believe that Judas could have chosen light. He could have chosen to submit to Jesus, but he chose darkness instead and it, and it consumed him. In Matthew's account of the Lord's Supper, when Jesus reveals that one of them will betray him. All of the disciples are deeply grieved, it says. And, and, and they begin to say one after the other, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And when Judas says, is it I? He doesn't say, Lord. He says, Rabbi. Is it I, Rabbi? Jesus is not his Lord. In fact, there's no record in any of the Gospels of Judas addressing Jesus as Lord. Matthew's gospel also tells us that Judas's interaction with the Jewish leader tells us about Judas's interaction with the Jewish leaders. It says in verse 14 of chapter 26, then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray him. In both Matthew and Mark's gospel, this happens right after Mary anoints Jesus with that expensive ointment that was worth a year's wages. And we know from John's gospel that Judas protests this, right? I read this earlier. Remember he says in verse 5 of chapter 12, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it, into it. We can see at this point how selfish Judas has become. He wanted that money for himself. Was this the last straw for him? Um, was it his love of money that caused him to turn Jesus over to the authorities, and then he betrays Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver, which to put into context, one piece of silver was worth about one day's wages. And so it would have been about 30 days worth of wages. Maybe it wasn't Judas's love of money that caused him to betray Jesus, but whatever his motive, sin had hardened his heart. It's also interesting to note the worth of the, the ointment that Mary anointed Jesus with. One year's salary. It was literally a fortune. She spends a fortune on Jesus to anoint him. 
And yet Judas is willing to betray Jesus for just one month's salary. Judas' heart has darkened. He's been blinded by sin, but yet he's been playing a part and, and acting like he believes in Jesus, acting like a follower. So the disciples really have no idea who this betrayer could be. But they're curious who it could be. It says in verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at a table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Um, many believe that John was younger than the other disciples and that Jesus had a special affection for him, similar to a nephew. If that's true, it makes sense that that would be why the other disciples weren't jealous uh, of this relationship that John and Jesus had. But at, at any rate, Peter motions to John to ask Jesus. And, and it says, so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. And I'm guessing that Jesus must have whispered this to John when he asked. Um, and, and when Jesus said, is it he it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread. Because it seems like none of the other disciples heard this. And that's a possibility because of how they were sitting. It didn't look like this. This is what we're used to, um, imagining the Lord's Supper like, right? It looked more like this. They were reclining at the table. This is the, this is, uh, this is what would typically be a dining situation in Jesus' day. They're not sitting on chairs like we do today eating dinner. So either Jesus whispered to John or the disciples didn't really understand what Jesus was saying when he said he would be betrayed. I don't, I don't think, I, sorry, I do think they understood what he meant when he said he would be betrayed though because again, in Matthew's account, they are all deeply grieved when he says, that he will be betrayed. And they ask Jesus, is it me? Is it me? If they had known that Jesus was saying Judas was his betrayer, I think they would have tried to stop him. In just a few chapters, Peter cuts off the ear of one of the high priest's guards when they try to arrest Jesus. And, and so he must have whispered this to John. In the next verse, Jesus, Jesus says to Judas, what you are going to do do quickly. And it says, no one at the table understands. No one at the table, not even John, to whom Jesus just said, the person who I give this bread to is my betrayer. Judas has hidden his true thoughts and deceived everyone so well. Everyone at this table, everyone except for Jesus, that is. No one, none of the disciples even consider that it could be Judas. Verse 29 and 30 tell us, some thought that because Judas had, had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. 
So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And this is all very significant, and we'll talk about the significance of this in a minute. But I want to get at one of the themes here, one of the themes that is throughout this whole narrative of the Gospel of John. And I mentioned this briefly before. Through both his teaching and his action, Jesus offered Judas light over darkness. And light is a major theme of the Gospel of John. Remember, he had washed Judas's feet. Judas sat under all of his teaching. Jesus' teaching wasn't just for the benefit of the crowds. It was also for the benefit of his disciples. And that included Judas. In verse 19 of our passage, Jesus says, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Does Jesus say this just for the benefit of the faithful 11? Or is he also saying this for Judas's benefit? I believe that he's giving Judas one last opportunity to repent and to believe. After the betrayal, does Judas remember this? Does he remember what Jesus said? Does he realize what kind of Messiah Jesus was? We, we don't know. Probably not because of how it all ends, right? But we do know that we see that when he sees that because of his actions, Jesus will die, he is remorseful and he tries to return those 30 pieces of silver. But why does he go back to the Jewish leaders? These are the people that want to have Jesus killed. Judas says to them, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And their reply is, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Basically, it's not our problem. It's yours. Judas was remorseful, but he was not repentant. Peter also betrays Jesus by denying him three times, but his remorse leads to repentance. Judas is not repentant. And yet, Jesus would have forgiven him like he did Peter. But Judas is still in darkness. Again, Judas sat under Jesus' teaching, and he saw what kind of a gracious and merciful person Jesus was. We see this throughout Jesus' ministry, right? And, and Judas saw this too. In Luke 5, Jesus invites Levi, the tax collector, to follow him. Tax collectors were not good people. They were traitors. They were Jewish people who were collecting taxes for Rome. And yet Jesus invites this man to follow him. And when the Pharisees complain about Jesus socializing with sinners like Levi, the tax collector, he says, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. At the beginning of this sermon, I said that Judas was not a believer. And we see even in the end that his life ends in unbelief. His remorse leads to hopelessness and he hangs himself. Judas had allowed sin to harden his heart. He was unrepentant in stealing from the money bag and he continued to do it. And sin begets sin. When, when we get caught in one area of sin, 
It's a downward spiral leading to our downfall. We can't compartmentalize sin. I do this and I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to let it affect any other area of my life. We can't do that. That's not how sin works. And that's not how the enemy works either. He wants to destroy you just like he destroyed Judas. Judas is an example to us of how sin creeps in and destroys. But the opposite is also true. Surrendering to Jesus affects every area of our life. Because through the Holy Spirit, the light of Jesus illuminates every area of our life. And and it illuminates the sin that we might not even recognize as sin. He illuminates those sins so that we can surrender them to him and that we can, have, we can be even more full of life. We can be even more his disciple, his follower. You see, sin leads to death. It's, it's darkness. It blinds us. That's why our passage ends with, he immediately went out and it was night. This isn't just describing the time of the day. It's describing where Judas is going. He's going to the darkness. But Jesus is the light, and he leads us to life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is in John 8. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let me encourage you today, if you are a follower of Jesus, then Jesus has broken the power of sin in your life. He has cleansed you from sin and he has given you life. Judas is, again, Judas is an example to us of someone who rejects the light um, and pursues darkness. Even though in the end he saw his mistake, he still chose darkness. He he still chose to end his own life. But, But... Like Peter who repented, there is still hope. And we have the opportunity to offer that hope to the world. We have the privilege of being light in the world, but we can't do it on our own. We need God's strength and we need each other. We are light, not just as individuals, we are light as the church. Amen? Let's pray.